When you're in your cave, you've got to say, God, I don't understand it, but I know you're good. And I believe with all of my heart, you are working your purposes out in the cave. Indeed, I believe the cave is a part of your purpose for my life. Somehow, you are taking me to a deeper place in you. You're working your purposes out. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. St. John of the Cross wrote about his dark night of the soul. Many of us walk through these times in our lives as well. And many who have walked through this darkness before us become beacons of encouragement. King David was such a man. Here's Pastor Chadwick in his study of King David, a man after God's own heart. If you are really serious about your faith in Jesus, you will at times in your life find yourself in caves, places of deep darkness. And notice I use the word caves in the plural because if you're serious about Jesus, there's not just one, but in your life there will be several caves. Every great saint of the Lord, including Jesus himself, have known these times. St. John of the Cross in the 16th century termed these times as the deep, dark night of the soul. Mother Teresa, the great saint of Calcutta, went through these deep, dark nights of the soul. Even though when she was publicly amidst people, she gave the light of encouragement to so many, here is a letter she penned to a person one time in her life. The silence of emptiness is so great that I look to do and I do not see. I listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer but does not speak. I want you to pray for me that I will let him, God, have a free hand with my life. So what is the purpose of caves? Why does God permit us to move into deep, dark places in our lives? Well, let me give you a couple of insights. One of them is no test, no testimony. Say it with me. No test, no testimony. If you don't go through the test of faith, you'll never have a testimony about God. Jesus himself went through a deep, dark night of the soul. In Luke, the fourth chapter, after Jesus had his baptismal experience, where God placed upon him the call upon his life to go die on the cross, be raised from the dead for the forgiveness of all people's sins everywhere. After his baptism, when he heard a voice from heaven that said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, Luke 4 tells us immediately thereafter, the spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness, into the caves to be tempted by the devil. No test no testimony. Here's another way of saying the same thing. The greater the level, the greater the devil. Let me say that one again. The greater the level, the greater the devil. The more serious you are in intentionality about your relationship with Christ, raising yourself to a higher level of commitment to him, the greater the devil will attack you. The spirit led Jesus not the devil, the spirit led Jesus into the cave to be tempted by the devil because he just received the high calling from God. No test, no testimony. The greater the level, the greater the devil. If you're serious about Jesus, you will have cave times in your life. The teacher 
The pupil's not greater than the teacher. If Jesus had it happen to him, those who follow him will have it happen to us. It also happened to a man named David. 1 Samuel 13 says he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who committed adultery, murder, was a bad dad, and yet God continued to use him graciously because he had a heart for God. David, too, was driven by, by God into the caves, driven into times of darkness. Uh, let's look at when these happened. The first cave was at a place called Adullam, A-D-U-L-L-A-M. But in order to understand this cave, you need to understand what was happening beforehand. David is a man on the run. He was the first fugitive. David was the first fugitive. Saul wanted his life. King Saul, in his own paranoia and jealousy, saw David as a threat to the throne and wanted him dead. So he starts to pursue him. David leaves the capital city and runs, first of all, to the high priest named Ahimelech. And he says to Ahimelech, I need some food, first of all. I am really hungry. So Ahimelech gives him the showbread in the tabernacle that was set aside to remind the people in worship of God, feeding them every day with daily manna. And Ahimelech gives David this bread to eat. And interestingly, in the New Testament, you'll see this story referred to by Jesus when the Pharisees question whether he should allow his disciples to eat grain on the Sabbath. Jesus says, my goodness, even Ahimelech gave a man after God's own heart, King David, bread on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's for our benefit the Sabbath exists, Jesus tried to teach. So Ahimelech gives David this bread. Then David says, do you have any weaponry I can have because I'm a man on the run? And he gives him Goliath's sword. The nine-foot-plus giant's sword. So David, this smaller guy, is walking around with a huge sword as he continues running away. Now, real quickly, when Ahimelech gave David this bread, there was a guy who oversaw it, and his name was Doeg the Edomite. Aren't you going to name your next son Doeg the Edomite? Well, Doeg was a spy of Saul's, and he sees all of this happening with Ahimelech and David. Keep that in mind. I'll come back to it in just a moment. So David runs away, and the first place he thinks maybe he can hide is in the city of Gath, one of the major cities of Philistia. The Philistines hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Philistines. They were in constant conflict with one another. Why David thought he could hide there, no one really knows. The king, Achish, though, finds out David is living among them. He remembers the giant Goliath story with David. He starts putting pressure on David, maybe even thinking David's going to be arrested and imprisoned. What does David do? He feigns craziness. He feigns frothing at the mouth. He pretends to be a lunatic. And Achish says, get out of this area. I don't need you around here. You're crazy. So David leaves Philistia. And after he leaves there, he goes to the cave of Adullam. There he hides from Saul, a fugitive on the run. In just a moment, David lost his job, his wife, all his financial savings and benefits, his home, his closest friend Jonathan, his reputation, and his self-respect. And he is alone in a deep, dark, dank cave called Adullam. And there he rests. The Lord drives him into a cave. Now, as I've taught you before... First and Second Samuel tells the life of David. The Psalms tell the heart of David. Let me say that again. 
First and second Samuel gives us the life of David. The Psalms give us the heart of David. So while David is in the cave, he writes two Psalms. Now, here's what's going on. It's probably a time of silence that's described to us in 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So there's a time of silence there. And then when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So a part of what David does is something with his family that we'll look at in just a second. But before then, focus with me on verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Before his family came to him and before the 400 people in distress came to him, David was there for some period of loneliness. In isolation, God began to deal with the heart of David in the cave. Folks, here's what God's doing with you and me when we're in our caves. He is trying to confront our faith. He wants our faith to be strong. Everything in this world fades, but faith, hope, and love are the only three things we'll take into eternity with us. Jesus in Luke 18.8 said this, When the Son of Man returns, and he will most certainly return, folks, I promise you, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? God's greatest desire is for you and me who follow him to have a deep, abiding heart of faith. And our heart of faith is most consumed with God in the caves. It's only when we're alone in the darkness that God can do his major work of surgery upon our hearts of faith. And God is going to get at David's faith in the cave. We see that in the two Psalms that he wrote while in the cave. So let's look at those two Psalms, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142, which express the heart of David in the cave. And if you're in a cave right now, if you're in a place of darkness, go with David to Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 and claim his faith declarations that he makes, but also learn from him how he handled God dealing with his faith in the cave. They are lessons that are eternal in scope. Join with me, Psalm 57. Here's how David begins. In the cave, he cries out, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful. Now, the word mercy in the Bible means not getting what we deserve. Is anyone here glad today that God doesn't give us what we deserve? If God gave me... David Chadwick, what I deserve in my rebellion against him and my sinfulness, I would go to hell. I would spend eternity in hell. But praise God, Ephesians 2, that he is rich in grace and mercy. He doesn't give me what I deserve, especially through Jesus who died on the cross to forgive me for my sins. David begins by crying out, be merciful to me, O God, twice, be merciful to me. Don't give me what I deserve. Folks, this is so important because a twin sister of faith is humility. You can't have faith without humility. So David begins his whole conversation with God in the cave. Don't give me what I deserve. Don't give me what I deserve. You're God. I'm not God. And most of my problems come when I get those two things confused. 
Then he continues his conversation with God. For in you, my soul takes refuge. Refuge. What does that word mean? Well, if you or I were illegal immigrants, we would be termed refugees. And a refugee is always looking for refuge, a place of safety. So David says, my soul wants to take refuge, a place of safety in you, God, and you alone, not in the things of this world. For in the cave, you don't have anything else upon which you can depend. In the cave, you've got God and God alone. So David says, my soul, my inner life, my eternal life takes refuge in you. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Now, it even happens today in America on the plains when there's a prairie fire After it's over, people will go try to pick up any pieces that are left over. They'll often find a mother hen with her wings spread out. She is scorched to death, but if you lift up one of her wings, you'll find her chicks alive. That's the image David's using here. Lord, as there are scorching fires all around me, as I'm in the darkness of this cave, I find refuge under your wings. And by the way, that's a beautiful image of Jesus, isn't it? who died to protect us from the fires of hell. David takes refuge under the wings, in the shadow of the wings of God. Till the storms of destruction pass by. That's a faith declaration. In the cave, he says, I do believe one day the storms of destruction will pass by. In that cave, everyone who's growing in faith realizes the storm will pass by. My daddy's favorite Bible verse he told me over and over again was this one. And it came to pass. It will pass by. This cave won't last forever. You make the faith declaration in the cave, one day I believe it will pass by. I cry out to God. People ask me sometimes, when I'm in a cave, when it's really dark and I'm depressed, can I cry out to God? Can I really get angry with God? because I don't like my dark cave. Here's my answer. Of course you can. God's a big God. He can handle it. He knows you're angrier than you even know you're angry. He's okay with you crying out to him. But also go to the next two words. I cry out to you most high. Notice David calls God most high, not more high. He is the most high God. He is over everything and anything in the universe. There's nothing higher than he is. He's the most high God. Therefore, we can depend upon God who rules over the caves of our lives. He is Lord over the caves to take care of us. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. David's in a cave believing that God's working his purposes out. Why? Folks, faith is rooted in the character of God. If you don't believe God is good, you can't have faith. So David believed God was good, and he was somehow working his purposes out in the cave. When you're in your cave, you've got to say, God, I don't understand it, but I know you're good. And I believe with all of my heart, you are working your purposes out in the cave. Indeed, I believe the cave is a part of your purpose for my life. I believe somehow you are taking me to a deeper place in you in this cave. You're working your purposes out. He will send from heaven and save me. Faith declaration. One day this will pass. You will deliver me from this cave. You will save me. 
He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Who's that? Saul and all of his minions who want to kill David. One day, God will trample on the one who's trying to trample on me. Now, in Romans 12, Paul says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We're not to take vengeance, but it is quite okay biblically for people who are trying to ensnare you or me to pray to God, you take care of them. You know all the facts. You take care of them. Then the word salah. And people ask me from time to time, what does that word mean in the Psalms? Here's what it means. Pause. It's like you're watching a great movie and you put it on pause to think about what you've just seen. You've read this part of the psalm. There's some great truths here. Put the psalm on pause. Go back and read the words over and over and over again to allow them to dwell deeply within your heart. Then David continues with his faith declarations. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. I'm not going to stay in this cave forever. One day God will give me his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. That's probably literal. Even to this day, there are lions that live in the area of the cave of Adullam. So David was surrounded with beasts who could kill him. I lie down amidst fiery beasts. That's probably fire ants who often live in dark caves. So David's surrounded by beasts without lions who want to kill him. Every night when he would lie down and go to sleep, he's bitten and covered by fire ants. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. But you know, the fear of the lions and the pain of the fire ants weren't as great as one other problem David had. His soul was torn asunder by people who spread lies about him, Saul and others. Folks, I've been hurt physically. I've had different things that have caused me physical pain, but I've never had anything that hurt as much as people, especially those whom I used to care for, speak lies about me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It hurts the soul not like nothing else. It's incomparable to physical pain. That's what David's talking about here. His body and his soul are in anguish in the cave. listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David and I discuss his latest Davidism. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community 
who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Jen. Great being with you as well. Well, David, today you titled your Davidism this morning, It Came to Pass. Can you tell us about that? I can indeed. You know, many listeners know how much I loved my dad, and just a wonderful man passed away a little over 10 years ago. Miss him terribly. Mm. Look forward to seeing him again in heaven. He had such wisdom, and one time when I was going through a difficult time, he said, son, always remember my favorite Bible verse. And I was thinking, gosh, what's that going to be? Is that going to be John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled? Is that going to be John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He said, son, my favorite Bible verse is and it came to pass. (laughs) Surprising. (laughs) I went, really? And then the more I thought about it, I thought, that's a great Bible verse, because Mm -hmm. as he saw me going through a difficult time, he was trying to remind me, I'll get through it. I'll move on. It will come to pass. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, that term, it came to pass, is mentioned 120 times in the King James Version of the Bible. It is a regular statement in the Bible. And my dad seized upon it to remind me that nothing lasts forever. Mm -hmm. And when you're going through a problem, you have to pass through it. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, when you go through the waters, you have to go through it. When you go through the fires, you have to go through it. You know, Mm -hmm. but Jesus promised to be with us during the fires, during the waters, during the trials. But at some point, you get to the other side. Mm -hmm. At some point, the trial does end. At some point, you keep being able to move forward in life. So my reminder to all of our listeners today is my dad's favorite Bible verse. It came to pass. No matter what you're going through, it will pass. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, what happens if I die? Well, then that means you pass into eternity, that this life will pass away as well. And you go to perfection with a perfect body in the perfect presence of Jesus, receiving his love, but also being in the presence of your loved ones again, Mm -hmm. with whom you will share all of eternity with. That's so good and so comforting. One of the things that my dad says that's hand in hand with this is if it came, it can go. And mm, I like I, that. I know. I like that too. It's catchy. And one can of the, we call that a genism? Sure. We can start a new <laughs> spot called genisms. Uh, but really when he prays for healing for people, he just says, you know, this sickness came and it can also go. Mm. And so it's just that, that transfer of faith. And, you know, like you say, when we die, not if we die, we're all going to die. You know, it, it will flee from our bodies, our earthly bodies. We will, yeah, and pass into the beautiful eternity that God has planned for us. And I remember as well uh, God's sovereignty over every situation in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that very famous verse after Moses had been through so many trials, betrayals, Mm. arrests, all kinds of difficulties in his life. The brothers were responsible for most of it. And when he finally encountered his brothers 22 years later after they first threw him into the pit and sold him into slavery, he looked at them and said, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It's just a powerful verse in all of the Bible that even when evil is done to you, God can use it for good. And when the good comes, you know you've passed on to the other side. And you can quote my dad's favorite Bible verse, it came 
to pass. Folks, it will pass. You will make it through this because Jesus is with you. So good. So powerful. Thank you so much, David, for these truths today. Thank you, Jen. It's wonderful being with you as well again. And everyone, if you would like to receive these daily Moments of Hope from me in written form, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They're free of charge. From my heart to yours, my only desire is to give you daily a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly Hopecast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the end of racism.